Want to be a CEO? It's a tough mountain to climb. I'm finding out how to get there and what to do once you make it to the top. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Today is really part two of a two-part interview with a guest who knows everything there is to know about CEO recruitment. And today, we've got your practical guide on how to do it. Basically, how to put yourself forward and to give yourself the best shot of getting the job. First, though, as always, I'm joined by Philip Levinson, CEO, CEO mentor, and the author of Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond. Lev, g'day. Thanks, Michael. Good to be here. Look, last time we looked at the uh, qualities, basically, of a good CEO and basically how that decision is made as to who is going to be the right person for the role. Uh, today, it's going to be a little bit more more tangible, basically how to get on that CEO search list and, and more. Uh, we're joined again by Tanun Pasha, an experienced CEO and CIO in areas including asset and wealth management, a fintech founder and expert in leadership advisory and search. Tanun, welcome back to Three Peaks Leadership. Thanks very much, Michael, and thanks for having me back. Look, first, a, a bit of background, if we may. Who initiates the search for the CEO and, and who sets the requirements for the role? Because I know the, the specific requirements, based on what you were saying last time, that the requirements of the, the company at the time of the search are so important in choosing the right person. So who initiates that search and who decides what the exact requirements, the job criteria are going to be? It's a, re- it's a great question to start with, Michael. I mean, ultimately, it's the board. Right. So the board is responsible, often from a regulatory perspective, as much as anything, for uh, appointing the CEO of a firm, particularly listed businesses. But that even if it's a privately held business, what you're going to find is that, you know, that the sponsors or the founders or the owners will generally be represented on the board, either directly or through their proxies. and, And it will be the board that mandates the search. Now, in a really good search, we have to remember that the chief executive or the outgoing chief executive is also a board member. And there's an orderly transition and a plan for succession in which the chief executive is also involved. You know, so there's there's continuity, there's a sense of history and legacy, and there's some context for what has been and what is to come in the future. Ultimately, it's the board, usually through the agency of the nominating committee of the board, which is usually a senior constituted subset of that board. It can be mandated at multiple levels, right? So from a, from a recruiter perspective, the call that we are likely to receive is, may come from the CHRO. It, it may come from the outgoing chief executive. Uh, it may come from the board chair or the head of the NOMCO. It will cascade down through various layers of the EXCO, but you will find that ultimately it's the board that will make the decision that a new chief executive is needed and pull the trigger on when. All right, one more question from the only non-CEO in this um, in this in this conversation. What's the what's the role then of an executive search firm in this? Once that decision is is made, what does the executive search firm do? You can break down the, the role of an executive search firm in two segments, right? One is kind of the data capture and engagement, so bringing people to the table. Right, knowing who the people are in the industry, knowing who the people are in uh, adjacent industries that might be relevant, translating the requirement from a strategy from a strategic perspective 
into a, a role and, and job perspective for the person who's who's going to who might be approached for the role, and you know pitching it appropriately that they understand the requirements, the challenges, but also the opportunities that are represented by the role. The second side of it is a, a very rigorous process of due diligence, uh, almost if not beyond, and certainly for the better executive search firms, I would say beyond. Uh, what you would consider a fiduciary level of care. You know, so, so that is reviewing for each of the individuals who from the long list make it to the short list at the very least, you know, a comprehensive and up-to-date review of their skills, their capabilities, so their, their innate potential and their experiences because all three of those interact to deliver the the results that the individual will provide. These will basically require proof points, right? So the due diligence isn't just, well, our opinion. That due diligence has to be backed factually by data and by information that you know the, the executive search firm can put their hand to and say, yes, we verified this, 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 this is, you know, why we think the following things are what they are. So, Tanun, um, you mentioned just now the long and short list, and I guess from our listeners' perspective, that's where they want to be. Obviously, they want to be at the top of the short list. How would you advise them to get there? What would you suggest that they did to attract your attention? There's a broader, I guess, overarching uh, suggestion here, which doesn't just apply to chief executives, right? It applies to anyone who's managing their career, and that is that you know you have to approach it with the right mindset, right? And that mindset includes intentionality. So you've got to be purposeful about thinking about what your future career looks like and how you're going to engage with your future career. The second is strategy and thoughtfulness. So you've got to get your head in the right place and want to do and spend time doing the things that are involved in furthering your career. The second aspect of that is that you've got to be objective, which means you've got to focus on the areas where you think your strengths will play best and not sort of spread yourself too thin. You've got to be very clear-minded in terms of and honest with yourself about the things that will play well to an audience and will not. Uh, And this obviously is an audience that will subject your propositions to scrutiny. So that gives you the mindset. And then the consequences of that mindset are that, you know, you make sure that the key recruiters or executive search firms in your space or in your sector uh, know about you well ahead of time. You've had a series of conversations with them, you know, as a uh, preface to any job that comes across their table. And you're not passively waiting for somebody to pick up the phone and ring you. You have individuals who are likely to be your advocates, who know you, who know your strengths and weaknesses. Uh, Because ultimately, you know, when a headhunter is sat across the table from the chairman of a board or the chairwoman of a board, they're going to naturally drop into speaking about the individuals they know best. And that's quite natural. It's because they're facing off to somebody who's experienced, who's intelligent, you know, who will be asking incisive questions, and they want to be in a position to answer them. 
And again, that's just human nature. And if you're one of the people who they know about and they know about well, then you're already in a far better position in terms of the long list and getting onto that long list. The second thing that I, I guess I would advise is, and again, keeping in mind, everything is a time trade-off, right? So you only have so much time you can spend every week doing this, is if you think about how people make decisions, especially critical decisions like recruitment, and particularly for, for you know, organizationally substantive roles like, like a chief executive, generally, a decision is not made in a vacuum, right? The way people make decisions is they will get data from a number of sources. And at some point, that will push them over a threshold which says yes or no. And that pushing over the threshold of yes or no, to a degree, relies on affirmations from other people within a network, right? And and networks for individuals tend to be closed-ended, not open-ended. So ultimately, it's not going to be the headhunter alone who persuades the board to move somebody from a long list to a short list. And it is the board that will make that decision. The board will rely on lots of points of input, right? They'll, They'll rely on how prominent an individual is in the public sphere, how much information they have about that individual in terms of their positions, their points of view, how many other people candidly that they know will say, yes, I know or have heard of this person and he sounds like a good guy or she sounds, she sounds great. To do that, it's quite important to make sure that you also spend a little bit of time networking uh, and connecting with other individuals who operate, who are your peers, you know, who, who are at the board level. These are networking conversations without an agenda. It just allows you to be, to be prominent and known in the industry. The best way to do that, of course, is through the portfolio of outcomes that you've delivered. That's not always possible, particularly if you're not a chief executive today, but aspiring to be a chief executive in the future. But nevertheless, there, there are many ways to do that. And finally, of course, then in terms of public prominence, it is a good idea to make sure that you, you, you do have a modern media presence, which means you know people know you through your interactions with others in the digital sphere, and they know you as somebody who is rational, objective, balanced, but also opinionated. So a chief executive needs to be somebody who stands for something. Pitching your, your flag somewhere is, is quite important, but being out there is uh, just as important. So those three things, I would say. A lot of those seem that they can actually be in place for a very long time before you actually get the job, that this can actually be something that you can work up to for for years in terms of building those uh, professional relationships, establishing your profile in the media, and and essentially just building that portfolio of work to to demonstrate your your ability and your your capacity to deliver. I wanted to, to ask about a different aspect of it in terms of the actual qualifications, the formal qualifications that you might look for in a CEO. Is there a set of basically standard requirements that you would be looking for, things like uh, perhaps a finance degree or an MBA, or are you are you willing to overlook those for the right candidate, perhaps someone who's got all the right experience, but they just don't have that piece of paper? 
That's a great question, Michael. And unfortunately, the answer is it really depends. For certain roles, regulators get involved. uh, And in certain industries, regulators get involved and will have fit and proper criteria that set a minimum bar for a chief executive. And those will have sort of, you know, high standards of relevant education and experience. The other thing is that boards will look for bragging rights. So if you don't have, you know, if if you're not marketable on paper, then you are to a degree somewhat disadvantaged against an equivalent individual who does look good on paper, right? That said, it's definitely not an exclusionary bar. You know, so if somebody is outstanding, you know, and, and let's not forget that the founder of Microsoft dropped out of MIT, you know, so, so and that didn't hold him back at all, then, you know, y- you will find your path. And, and I think it, it does, I mean, you, it sort of jogged my memory about another consideration that your strategy for CEO should depend a lot upon what you bring to the table and what you feel the weaknesses are in your specific proposition. Right. And there are many critical paths to become a CEO and any individual can only engage in a subset of those paths. And the choices you make as to which subset you're going to traverse, it will play a big role in, you know, how successful you're likely to be. Look, I've just got one uh, final question and then I'll wrap up because we're running out of out of time. Global searches. Uh, should a, should a, a company in this day and age not be limiting their their search to a CEO to a particular geographical border. So not just limiting it to Australian candidates or candidates in the UK. If a if a company is is going to find the best person, should they be looking all around the world? And then on the flip side, should a CEO candidate be prepared to move basically anywhere in the world for the job? Is it kind of the globalization of the of the, the CEO role? Another great question. And a lot depends upon what you're after and what your business looks like, right? If you are a business that's operating only in the one part of the world, right? And you're in a part of the world or you're in a sector where there is no disparity or asymmetry between sort of regional skill sets. So it's not like, for example, Asia is technologically superior to Europe. And so having an Asian CEO would help. Um, So on the one hand, it actually makes, you know, it is more expensive, time consuming and difficult to search globally. And in those cases, you may choose not to, right? In fact, there may be situations where the cultural milieu for reasons of language or or otherwise uh, specifically require that you need somebody who really deeply, profoundly understands the local regional market to be able to operate. That said, diversity, particularly diversity in thinking, is always an incredibly good thing. And we are seeing more more global searches. Right? You know, my time at Spencer Stewart, we saw, I sort of saw an increasing number of searches that were global in nature. And particularly as you get to be larger and more international as a business then the benefits of being of looking globally for your next leader become much more pronounced. Tanoon, it's been incredible once again. Thank you very much for joining us on Three Peaks Leadership. My pleasure and thank you again for having me, Michael. 
That was Tanoon Pasha, an experienced CEO and CIO and an expert in leadership advisory and search. Thanks for your company. I hope we've shed a bit of light now on what happens behind the scenes in the search for a CEO. As always, if you haven't already, it's not too late to order your copy of Three Peaks Leadership, How to Make It as a CEO and Beyond by Philip Levinson. Order it online from anywhere that sells books, Booktopia, Amazon, Dimmix, and make sure that you've hit follow or subscribe on the podcast too so that the next episode lands in your playlist list the moment it's released. In the meantime, why not follow Philip Levinson on LinkedIn too? He's always up for a chat. I'm Michael Thompson, and this is Three Peaks Leadership with Philip Levinson. Listener.